Our worship community is saying a powerful prayer. Yes, Lord, send your spirit. And uh, so what we're going to be talking about as we continue our series out of 1 Samuel. And I wanted more of our worship response to be after the message because we want to pray for those of you who would like to be filled or refilled with the Spirit of God. And we're not talking about something spooky. We're not talking about a force. This is a person, the Holy Spirit. God exists as three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father loves us and sent His Son to be the sacrifice for our sin. And He rose again. And then the Son, Jesus, gives us His resurrection spirit so we can know Him and walk with the Lord. And this is what creates turnaround points in our lives. And 1 Samuel gives us a set of turnaround stories. One of the greatest is right here in 1 Samuel 16, when we do talk about having the Holy Spirit, just having the Holy Spirit, not having a nice personality or good looks or, or a decent place to live, but having the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. That God will let us have his Holy Spirit in our lives. So as we come to 1 Samuel 16, we're going to start with the Bethlehem connection in 1 Samuel 16, but it's not Christmas. Well, it's only 10 and a half months away. I'm getting stressed out already. Um, but here's the Bethlehem connection, verse 1 of chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn over Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Saul was the first king of Israel. I've rejected him, the Lord said. So fill your horn or your container with oil and be on your way, for I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. And it will turn out that this is the very reason why a thousand years later, Mary and Joseph would have to go to Bethlehem to register because Joseph was a descendant of the young boy who will be anointed king in Bethlehem. And I've chosen, go to Jesse of Bethlehem, and I've chosen one of his sons to be king. And when they arrived, verse 6, Samuel saw Eliab. This was the first of Jesse's sons. Now, now God didn't tell Samuel which of his sons will be the king. He just said one of his sons. I don't always, you know, the Lord does this. Like he gives you half the story and the rest you have to trust him with. So one of his sons, but I'm not going to tell you yet which one. So the first one is Eliab that he sees. And and he thought, surely, Samuel thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed that stands here before the Lord. He, this is going to be the next king of Israel. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. My, how I love this verse. For I've rejected him. Sorry, you tall, dark, and handsome kind. For the Lord does not look. Get this. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. For people look at the outward appearance. The Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. Let's just let that sink in for a moment because our culture is obsessed with image. Our culture 
Many of us spend many of our waking hours thinking about our looks and our appearance and how we're perceived. Are we popular? Are we successful? How do people perceive us? And what do I have that affects um, who I think I am as a person? I mean, people look at the outward appearance, and we're obsessed with that level of living. But it's not where God is. For God looks past all the image stuff, and he looks at the heart. And we could spend the rest of the message. This is not where ultimately the story goes. And so we're not going to land here long. I just, I just want to say this one thing to you. We are in trouble when image is elevated over integrity and where charisma outdistances character and where personality replaces God's presence. And for leaders, and there's a crisis of leadership in our world today, when leaders are underdeveloped and overexposed. And this was King Saul's problem. He takes on the responsibility of a king, he starts running with it, but he's, as a person, he's underdeveloped. At the level of his integrity, his character, his maturity, he is underdeveloped, while at the same time, he's overexposed. And we will eventually go back and track some of Saul's life in 1 Samuel and why he collapses. But, but just let, let's just land here one more time. People look at outward appearance. People look at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. So even the man of God, Samuel, stumbles over this one. He's caught up with image and appearance, good looks, tallness, all of this stuff. But then comes the turnaround moment. This will be a moment that turns around the history of a young man and the life of a young man. It'll be a moment that turns around the history of Israel, and it will be a moment that leads to the turnarounds that you and I can experience through Christ in our own lives. It's all connected. It's a dramatic moment. Because Jesse brings six more of his sons. And God keeps saying to Samuel, nope, 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 nope. Those sons would have been of various ages. They probably would have been of various heights. It didn't matter. Nope. This puts Solomon in an awkward position. So he's got to ask Jesse of Bethlehem a very awkward question. Like, you don't have any extra kids lying around anywhere, do you? <laughs> So Samuel, verse 11, asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, Jesse answered, they're still the youngest. Uh, he's tending sheep. And Samuel said to him, send for him, for we will not sit down until he arrives. This was the shepherd boy, David, who becomes the greatest king of Israel, to whom was promised that upon his throne would be one who would rule forever and ever, the Messiah, Jesus. And no wonder when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the shepherds were the first ones to be told about the event because they had to go to the shepherd fields around Bethlehem, Jesse did, and get the one guy he didn't even think of bringing to present to Samuel, the young guy, the youngest, who who was having to do the job nobody else in the family wanted to do. And they bring this young guy, this little guy, David. They bring him. And so Samuel, verse 13, took the horn of oil 
and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, could you read these words out loud with me? The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now, symbolically, uh, kings and prophets would be called to their job or anointed for their job through, through oil. This would be an olive oil base concoction that would be poured over the head of a king to, to call him. And it, it represented calling, and there was also often an empowerment from God to that calling uh, that was beyond uh, himself. And, and so he pulls out the oil. Now, we anoint with oil to pray for people. The Bible tells us that uh, as we live in the church of Jesus Christ, if you need healing, call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint you with oil, pray over you. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And we just use little things like this. We open the top. We put a little on our finger and do a dab on your forehead. But this was no dab. This was bloop, 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 bloop. This was pouring. This is what they did. I mean, they poured the oil on him. And it says that as the oil came upon him, so the Spirit of God came upon him with power to anoint him, to set him apart, to call him to do the work that God had called him to do. The Spirit of God came upon David powerfully. Now, notice this from that day. There is a turning point moment in our lives that the Spirit of God can bring. He did it for David. From that day on, nothing was the same. Why? Because uh, David got out of shepherding and was promoted to hanging around with his older brothers. No. It was because of one thing, the Spirit of God came upon him. And it came upon him powerfully. So much so that the next chapter... The little guy, David, will take the, on the overgrown guy, Goliath, and win all by himself because the Spirit of God had come upon him. We'll look at that. It's the most famous story in the Bible, probably David and Goliath. We'll look at that next week. But with power, the Spirit of God came upon him. Right now, our pastoral team is working through a book called Empowered Church Leadership by Brian Dodd, and I just pulled out one little paragraph that I loved. A rower gets to the destination. So you're in a rowboat. A rower gets to a destination by personal strain, struggle, and effort. But a sailor arrives under the wind's power. Rowing is a good way to keep in shape, but a lousy way to travel. Sailing taps the power of the wind and allows us to go much farther, much faster, with far less human effort than rowing. And Dodd's saying, what are you like? Are you like a rowboat or a sailboat? In fact, the word for wind in, in the Hebrew Old Testament, in the Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Greek, I'm wearing my Greek shirt, the Greek of the New Testament, the word wind is spirit, it's breath or wind. That's what the choir was singing about a few minutes ago, just, just the wind, the breath, like he wants to put something powerfully into the sails of your life. It's not just your striving. It's not just your gritting. It's like, oh, it's so tough being a Christian. No, he wants to swell you from inside out with the power of his Holy Spirit. And you notice it said the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. 
Our culture will scream at you in every movie, in, 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 in every piece of cultural engagement that you are as you dig inside and you introspect and find your deepest desires, that is the definer of who you are, your deepest desires. Listen, this is not self-actualization. This isn't your desires. This isn't your dreams. This is something from outside of you, from the throne room of heaven. It comes upon you. It's the Spirit of God to empower you. I just want to, before we're done, just say, just say a few things about this. First of all, first of all, listen, you were made for the Holy Spirit. We were made for the Holy Spirit. doesn't matter if you're tall or short, young, old. doesn't matter your family background. doesn't matter your ethnicity. doesn't matter whether you're a male or a female. You were made for the Holy Spirit. Some people say, oh, I'm not that kind of person. I don't have that kind of personality. Well, you were made for the Holy Spirit. That's all I can say. It doesn't matter what kind of person you are in the great diversity of how God created us. You were created by God, and, and, and no matter what personality, no matter what you look like, no matter where you're from, you were made for the Holy Spirit. And Paul, Paul tells us this in the New Testament. Now that Jesus has come, and he rose from the dead, and he gave us his resurrection spirit, he, Paul says this to the church in Corinth. In chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians 19, do you not know that your bodies, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? You're actually temples. Now, temples in ancient times were places where it was thought the gods to whom that temple was built resided. Listen, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit himself. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what kind of body image you have. Mine hasn't been great through my life because I always thought God created me too short. But I, would, I tell you, it's irrelevant. God's Spirit, God's Spirit finds its home in your body. Your bodies, unlike your pets, was created in the image of God. You are an act of the creator of the universe's individual creation. You're created in his image, and you were made for the Holy Spirit to the degree that Paul would say, look, God's Spirit wants to come and live in us. Our bodies are actually temples of the Holy Spirit, and, and you're not your own. And, he, and he's basically saying, your, your body doesn't belong to you because it belongs to God, and God bought your body with a price. And that price, of course, was the blood of Jesus that was shed. P Peter will say this in 1 Peter chapter 1, for you were purchased, you were redeemed, purchased, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with something precious, not something perishable, something precious, by the precious blood of Christ. He hung on a cross. He took your worst on himself. Listen, we meet God in our woundedness because God met us through his own woundedness. He was wounded on the cross that so we may be healed, and he shed his blood that we could be forgiven. We could be purchased from the kingdom of this world and of Satan, and we could belong to him. He said, you're bought. You don't belong to you anymore. You belong to him. That's why we gladly deny ourselves and follow him with all of our hearts because we belong to him. He said, even your body. In the previous verses, he was talking about sexual purity and morality. He said, you, 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 you know, your body, God has an eternal plan for it. And, 
and he created it, and it belongs to him. So he'll go on and say, so therefore glorify God with your body. What I want us to walk away with in this moment is that is Paul is saying, um, we were made for the Holy Spirit. Think of that. We were made. You don't have to be a mystical person. You don't have to be a weird person. You don't have to be an emotional person. You were made for the Holy Spirit. He knows how to fill you and lead you and give you your turnaround moments. Also, you know, without, without the Holy Spirit, we, we, we don't see the big picture in life. We, we can't see the big picture in our lives. But this is also what I love about the Holy Spirit coming upon us. In Romans chapter 8, same guy, Apostle Paul writing again, he said the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Well, what, what's he talking about here? I feel weak in a lot of areas. I feel pretty frail. And thank God, because Jesus bought me by his blood, the pressure is off me to impress God. I don't have to deserve his love. I don't have to do anything. That's, that, that, that's the bottom line of it all. And yet, and yet, in my weaknesses, God's Spirit comes to help me. And he's really specific next. He says, because we, we, we can't see the big picture. And we get ourselves into situations where we don't even know how to pray ourselves out of it. But he said... He said, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, can you get this? He intercedes for us through wordless groans. I mean, there was time, we we don't know how to pray. I've had times I didn't even know specifically. I remember leading a Bible study at the University of Minnesota as an engineering student, and, and I inherited 12 students in this Bible study. The Assemblies of God had started a few years earlier, a little Chi Alpha group. And, and by a year later, it was down to three of us. I was the number one campus ministry shrinker in the country that year. And, and one of the other two guys sits in my room and said, maybe we ought to pray and fast. I mean, let's do something. And God gripped my heart. I became incredibly hungry for him. But I remember sometimes I just lie on, on, on my face, sometimes between classes in the morning, sometimes late at night. I had a non-Christian roommate in the dorm, so I had to generally go somewhere else to pray. And, and I just lie on my face, and I had no clue. I was a total failure as a ministry leader. I had no clue how to pray myself out of this. I had no clue how to pray for a move of God's Spirit for lost people on the University of Minnesota campus. I had no idea how to pray. And I began to experience this. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we don't know what to pray, when we don't know what specific... I had no strategy, so I didn't know how to pray. I I didn't say, okay, here's my strategy. God, would you do this, 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 and this? I couldn't. But I want to tell you that when we're beyond words, there is a groaning of the Holy Spirit through our lives. Sometimes I just lie on my face and just groan. And you say, that sounds pretty pretty irreverent, irreverent. No, it's not. The Spirit of God knows. Because he goes on to say in the next verse, because he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of our Heavenly Father. He knows how to get us out of where we are. And sometimes your greatest, most powerful prayer is just that holy sigh, just, oh, Oh, God, would you come? I, I, I would just 
Prayer lists are great, but it's more than reading a shopping list to God. There are times where we stop at a point in our prayer list, and we just let the Spirit groan through us. Oh, God. And let the yearning of God's Spirit for Jesus to step into situations and turn them around, to let that happen through our lives. And uh, that's what happened to me. A year and a half later, it, it just... When I was in graduate school, all of a sudden, instead of three of us, there were 65 students one night. I don't know how it happened. God's power fell on us. Our spiritual DNA turned around. And because of that moment, that night, that Tuesday night, when I was now uh, 23 years old, um, because of that Tuesday night, I'm doing what I'm doing today because of what happened and everything that followed that breakthrough. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. We don't know the big picture. All we know is we're made for the Holy Spirit and that his spirit wants to help us. His spirit groans through us for his heart to see people meet Jesus and, his, and, and, and Jesus' life to step into places devoid of his influence. Don't stop groaning. Don't, don't stop experiencing the sigh of God that, oh, I just would step into situations and let him pray through you. But here's where we're going to land. Not only were we made for God's Spirit, and without Him, we can't see the big picture on our own, but we need the Holy Spirit to partner in Jesus' ministry mission. We need the Holy Spirit to proclaim, with our mouths, to proclaim Christ to our world. Because Jesus is on a mission, and He wants us to be His partners. I'd make a poor partner if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit. And I dare say you'd make a poor partner in the mission of God without the power of His Holy Spirit. And so Jesus goes to his hometown. He's about 30 years old now. He starts his public ministry. He was born in Bethlehem, his hometown. He grew up, though, in Nazareth. And he goes back to Nazareth. On Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue, and he, he's allowed to read the Scripture. And he turns to an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, we would, in our Bibles, it's Isaiah chapter 61. And Jesus reads these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit's upon me. There's that language, he's upon me. Like that oil gets poured upon me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He set me to proclaim, I think it's three times we hear the word proclaim. As he's reading what Isaiah wrote, He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. These holistic pictures of how Jesus can set us free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. His judgment will come to our world. But right now we're in the year of his favor, this era of his favor. And, and Jesus reads that. He puts the scroll aside and he said, Isaiah was talking about me. And all the guys he grew up with took him and tried to throw him off a cliff. They probably couldn't handle it. But that was Jesus. That was Isaiah talking about Jesus' ministry, that the Spirit of God would be upon him. And so when God gives us his Spirit, we partner in his ministry 
to see people's lives set free as they come, to have turnaround moments as they come to that personal relationship with Jesus, not to make people church attenders, not to make them religious, but people need an encounter with the resurrected Jesus who died for their sins and comes to create a new creation like being born again inside of them. And how's that going to happen? It's because of the Spirit of God. Jesus said the Spirit of God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And so Jesus himself, after he died and rose again, before he ascended into heaven, it's a space of 40 days where Jesus hangs around with his disciples. And at one point, he says to them in Acts 1, verse 4, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. To baptize means to immerse. John immersed people in water for repentance. But you, in a few days, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And he explains a few verses later in verse 8, you will receive power. Remember how it says the Spirit of God came upon David powerfully from that day on. Well, he said, all that in 1 Samuel 16 is just pointing to what I want for everybody who follows me. I want you to partner with me in my mission to reach lost people, to, to see the powers of darkness broken in people's lives, to see addicts set free, to see lost people come to Christ, to see, to see my spirit work in people's lives. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit, there's that same language, comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my what? Witnesses. Now, when you put your faith in Christ and what he did on the cross for you, um, Jesus' spirit comes into your life and remakes you from the inside out. But then he wants to put his spirit upon you to partner with him so that we can be his mouthpiece to the world. And so that actually happens in the next chapter, chapter 2 of Acts, verse 4. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Don't let that freak you out. That's very, very not hard to understand. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This was not God's Spirit coming into us to make us Christians, to, to give us a relationship with Jesus. This, this now is God's Spirit coming upon us so that we could become his mouthpiece. And no wonder, as a result of that, they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit. Not, this is not something they made up as a Spirit prompt, and they spoke in other tongues. I mean, I, a prayer, I have this, I pray in other tongues all the time I, in my prayer language, but it also reminds me that, uh, that God's given me his Spirit so I can partner with him in his mission. Not so I can just sit around to be blessed, which I am, but, but I just want to live in that overflow that we sang about at the beginning of the service where, where God's Spirit is just guiding us and he's making us his mouthpiece so that we can proclaim good news to the poor and proclaim freedom to the prisoners and proclaim the year of God's grace to people because that is Jesus' mission. It was back in 1738, John Wesley over in the United Kingdom who later led the Methodist movement, John Wesley, famous man of God. He writes in his diary, about three in the morning, there were a whole group of men and women praying together. They were praying all night. 
And he said, at three in the morning, as we were continuing in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy. You may or may not have an emotional experience when God fills you with his spirit, but sometimes it's just overwhelming. And he said, people just, at three in the morning, all of a sudden, God's power fell on us, the spirit of God. And the people in that room started over the next weeks going all through the United Kingdom preaching because God made them his mouthpiece. And then, and then to America, and it was, it was that moment when God came upon those, three, those people at three in the morning that the Wesleyan movement, the John Wesley and Methodist movement began, and the first great awakening in America. And believe it or not, my great, great, maybe one more great grandmother uh, met Jesus under Wesley's ministry when she was 12 years old. In fact, they were neighbors of John Wesley. John Wesley used to come and lay his hand on her head as a little girl and pray. She met Jesus personally. The Spirit of God worked. And then she immigrated to Canada, and God used her incredibly to break out a whole revival in Midwestern Canada. And I consider myself still a part of the fruit of what happened at 3 in the morning in 1938 at a New Year's evening prayer meeting, when God's Spirit came upon people, and they were not the same. God can affect generations in your life to follow you. People who won't even remember your name someday as their great, great, great grandparent. But God can affect generations. Why? Because of the Spirit of God that comes upon us. I want our worship community just to come back up, if you would. And as they do, I just want your faith to be built up with these scriptures. Acts 4, two chapters later. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And then over in Acts 8 in Samaria, when Peter and John arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They, they had not yet come on any of them. The Spirit hadn't come on any of them in that anointing, empowering way. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. They come to Christ. They were saved. They knew the Lord, but now the Spirit of God needed to come upon them. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they, would you say those words aloud? Receive the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 10, in the house of a Gentile Roman soldier, while Peter was still preaching these words, would you read those words out loud in bold? The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And then in Acts 19, verse 5, on hearing this, this is Ephesus. Paul goes to Ephesus. He would later build a great church, and part of his church planning team is going to be recruited right here. And they were baptized in the name of Jesus. These people Paul was telling about Jesus they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They put their faith in Christ. They were made new creations in Christ. And then when Paul placed his hands on them, would you say those words out loud with me? The Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were 12 men in all. And then 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, one more time. And let's read this out loud together. It was our starting verse and where we end today. So Samuel took the horn of oil 
and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Lord, do that. Lord, do that in our lives. 